Welcome to the Joseph Carlson Show. On today's episode, I'm going to be addressing some breaking news that Disney is being urged by an activist investor named Dan Loeb. He's urging Disney. He wrote a letter to the executives saying that he thinks they should permanently suspend the dividend, get rid of it forever, and put that money that would be paid out to shareholders into their streaming service to fund more content for it. So this is a pretty big development for Disney. They're in a tough situation. It's pretty complicated. Disney happens to be one of the bigger holdings in my portfolio. In fact, it is the third largest holding in my entire portfolio. Disney has recently suspended their dividend. This was a temporary suspension because their parks have been closed and they haven't been generating nearly as much cash as they should be. So they've already suspended the dividend. Now we have an activist investor saying, suspend it forever and focus on your streaming service. I've been a big bull of Disney. I've been very bullish on this company and especially because of the streaming service. So what does all this mean? How do I look at this as a dividend investor, but also somebody that really likes the streaming portion of Disney and likes the business? What are my thoughts on it? We're going to discuss all of that in this episode. I'll give a a full breakdown on whether I think this is a good or bad thing and the reasons why. We also, of course, are going to be looking at my portfolio. I'll be giving an update on it, the different buys and sells I'm doing, and the performance over the past couple weeks. And then we also had a lot of comments on the previous episode. A lot of people had good questions. So I went through, I read through every single comment, and I'm going to be replying to some of them in this episode. So at the end of this episode, I'll be replying to a handful of these comments. Now, of course, before jumping into all of that, just a friendly reminder, we do have a Patreon. It's $6 a month. There's a trial for a few weeks. So if you join now, you won't be billed until the beginning of next month. So you have some time to try it out, see if it's something you like. You get access to a dividend tracking website we're developing, a community discord with well over a thousand active members, as well as an exclusive series. And I just released an episode that is an hour and six minutes long. So you're getting a lot of content as well. That's all something that you can try out and enjoy now during a free trial. So if it's something you're interested in, give it a try. I think you'll like it. There's a link in the description. Okay, let's jump into the main story, which is Dan Loeb, this man right here. He is wanting to enact changes to Disney. And he's what you call an activist investor. So like other big name investors like Bill Ackman, what they do is they basically buy a good portion of a company. They might buy hundreds of millions of dollars worth of shares of a company, and they don't just sit idly and let the company do its thing and work as it was working. They try to enact change. They try to lobby with the executives. They try to enact change to bring more value to the company and to them as a shareholder. Now, Dan Loeb is the one running Third Point LLC, which is his investment firm. His investment firm owns $613 million worth of Disney. It's actually their largest position. It's 8.2% of their overall portfolio. So this means that they have a strong level of conviction with Disney. Anytime you have a big investment firm like this, obviously their largest holding is a strong conviction. You don't invest $600 million in a company unless you believe strongly it's going to give you a return. So Dan Loeb is obviously well invested into Disney. And let's take a look at what he's wanting to do. Loeb sent a letter to Disney chief executive Bob Chapek Wednesday saying that he believes the $3 billion in annual dividends would be better spent on its direct-to-consumer streaming service, Disney+. He said doing so could more than double Disney Plus's budget for original content, bring it in additional subscribers, lower churn, and boost pricing power. I think it's, it's pretty straightforward. He wants Disney to not have the dividend return. He doesn't want to be paid a dividend. Instead, he wants that money that would be paid in dividends to be redirected back into the company 
specifically for original programming, original content for Disney+. Plus. Now, let me just say right off the bat, I think that this request is an honest, good faith request. Even from an activist investor, I don't see this as self-serving at all. There's a couple activist investors that they, they do things that might temporarily bump the stock, but in reality, it's things that hurts the company long-term. There's investors like Carl Icahn, uh, Paul Singer, that they're known for kind of gutting companies and extracting whatever value they can as soon as they're a shareholder and then bailing on the rest of common shareholders. I don't see what Dan Loeb is doing to be anything like that. I think it's a good faith request. I think that what he's doing is trying to help Disney in, in the way that he thinks will be in the long-term benefit for Disney. So right off the bat, I don't mind this request from an activist investor. Disney has been the dominant studio at movie theater box offices in recent years, but with the brick-and-mortar cinema suffering during the pandemic, the company needs to focus on streaming with a new urgency, Loeb said. He cited the decision by Regal to temporarily close its U.S. theaters as a sign that cinemas are going away. So he actually believes that the closure of movie theaters is not some temporary closure. He doesn't think it's just some coronavirus thing that eventually they'll open back up and everything will return back to normal. He believes that this is a long-term trend, that these cinemas are going away for good, that they're going to be very limited in the future. While we all share a certain sadness and nostalgia for this eventuality, I am sure that people felt similar emotions about the horse-drawn carriages when the automobile was first introduced. Every Hollywood executive has been able to enjoy first-run films in the comfort of their home theaters for years. We urge you to democratize this experience. That's kind of a funny thing to point out. He says that the Hollywood executives, they get to enjoy watching the movies in the comfort of their own homes. They don't have to go to those theaters and gather together with the common people, the non-Hollywood executives. That might be true, but I will say I'm one of those people that I enjoy the movie theater. I like going to it and enjoying movies on a massive screen with a box of popcorn and soda. I know it's not healthy for me. I know the sound is probably way too loud, but I enjoy that. So yeah, I'm in that category that I kind of don't want theaters to just disappear overall. And the changes that I've seen in theaters over time with them getting seats that are more spread out, that can recline, that you have more room, you're not right next to other people. Those have all been really good changes. So right now, I don't really agree fully with what he's saying that theaters are going away. I think that they might be more limited. I could see more content going direct to consumer, but I think theaters are going to play a role in society for a good amount of time. Loeb goes on to express the importance of this. He says, quote, We share the view that Disney is embarking on one of the most important transitions in its history, shifting distribution of the world's most iconic entertainment brand from the box office to the home. Disney has made admirable early progress, which I completely agree with. They have 60 million subscribers in nine months. I've said that I think that they might hit close to $100 million by the end of the year. He argued, though, that investing more aggressively in content production and acquisitions would return multiples of the current dividend yield. The current yield is like 1.4%, 1.5% based off the current share price. He also cited the impact the streaming of Hamilton had on the service earlier this year, helping to attract an incremental 2 million subscribers and hundreds of millions of dollars in extra revenue it only cost Disney $75 million to acquire the rights to the film. So this is the basis of Loeb's argument. The dividend yield returns 1.5%, right? That's what we gain as investors for it. But he thinks that Disney's in a particular situation where they can benefit much more from the cash, that having the cash and investing back into their, their own content production 
will return multiples of what that 1.5% will for the dividend. So again, I think that Loeb is making a pretty good case here. Disney pays about $3 billion a year in their dividend. So that's how much money they'd be able to save by not paying the dividend. And Loeb is saying that they're fully confident that if they took that money and they invested it into spend on Disney's iconic in-house brands like Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, and Disney Animations to create more content for Disney+, Plus, it would drive even greater subscriber growth. So far, I think Loeb's suggestions have been, I think, pretty reasonable. I think they've been pretty good suggestions. Here's where I depart from him. He says that the company should merge its Disney+, Plus, ESPN+, and Hulu services, along with new international product called Star, into a single platform. He also said the company should raise the price of Disney Plus and no longer release movies such as Milan on a pay-per-view basis, including them instead as a customer's standard subscription. Now, this is where I think his requests are a little bit less grounded. Combining Disney Plus with ESPN Plus, I do not think is a good idea at all. I think that that would be a bad move for Disney. Part of Disney Plus's allure is that it's an easy, cheap service for families to get for uh, very fine-tuned content that is good for the entire family. Now, if you include ESPN Plus, you have all this different sports content mixed in there, and there might be people that just want Disney content. They don't want ESPN or sports. So now they feel like they're paying for ESPN and sports when they're not really using it. So I think that that kind of convolutes the service. And then bringing in all of Hulu's content, which is in many ways very different than Disney's, very much different, including all of that in it, I don't know how much I like that idea either. And then raising the price point, I don't think is a good move at all right now. So this is what HBO Max did, was they included a lot of different content from different production companies and in different categories, their subscribers are, are lacking. So Disney Plus has gained 60 million subscribers, and I think the direction they're going with Disney Plus is the best direction. Now, at the end of this letter... Loeb makes a point that Disney is going to get the shareholders that they deserve. We understand that more aggressive investment strategy may pressure short-term earnings on the path to creating long-term value, citing Warren Buffett's famous quote, companies get the shareholders they deserve. The company needs to have long-term shareholders. Now, if we're trying to tell Disney to stop their dividend, to never bring it back, and to fund content on their streaming platform, I think it would be good to look at how much does Disney Plus spend on its Disney Plus service? How much does Netflix spend on its service in Amazon Prime and Apple TV? Well, let's take a look at those numbers. Netflix is the top spender by far on its streaming service. Netflix, unsurprisingly, will dole out the most content in 2020 with a budget of $16 billion. $16 billion. So keep that number in mind. Amazon, whose Prime Video service has emerged as another big player in the streaming wars, plans to spend $7 billion on content this year. So less than half of what Netflix spends, but $7 billion is still a pretty good amount. And then we go down a little bit further. Next in line is Apple. Apple TV Plus originally launched in November 2019 with a content budget of $6 billion. $6 billion. And that's a brand new service. Apple has also said things like, with the success we're having so far, we plan on spending a little bit more on it. So Apple's probably going to be upping their budget from that $6 billion. Hulu has a content budget of $3 billion this year. And then we have Disney+. Plus. Disney+, Plus, which launched with much fanfare last year, has a budget of between $1.5 to $1.75 billion to spend on content in 2020. $1.5 to $1.75 billion? Netflix is spending $16 billion this year, and Disney+, Plus is spending $1.5. Now, 
The Disney Plus service has been successful so far. I've said that it's gaining subscribers incredibly fast. It's gained 60 million already. I think that it will will continue gaining subscribers very quickly, but the content is a little stale. Basically, they're relying off of the kind of excitement of their new service. I think it was an exciting thing, so that gave it a little bit of a boom, as well as their huge library of already existing content. But if they continue to only spend one and a half to $1.75 billion, when companies like Netflix and Amazon and Apple and all these big tech companies are spending five times as much, Disney is going to fall behind. That's the issue. Now, keep in mind that Netflix is spending $16 billion. That's comparative to Disney's $1.5 billion. And Netflix just bumped their budget $3 billion. So just their incremental budget bump was bigger than Disney's total spend on Disney+. And Netflix has said many times, the CEO, Reed Hastings, has said that we're not going to reduce spending. He says, don't look for us to reduce spending on content, ever. They're never going to spend less than $16 billion. They're never going to reduce the amount of money they spend on content. They have it worked out with their economics of their business that they can continue to spend more and more while still having a profitable business. The economics of it are so good for streaming companies that Netflix can continue to spend $16 billion plus a year and they will be profitable. Now, Rich Greenfield, who is with a company that does analysis on streaming services, was asked, should Disney try to do what Netflix is doing? We did an analysis that looked at what were Disney's revenues. So if you look at Disney's movie revenues or the studio revenues that Disney creates, you could actually add both Disney Studio and Warner Brothers Studio. And Netflix is now generating greater revenue and is on its way shortly to generating more profit than those two businesses. And so I think the reality is, is when you look at the scale that subscription video on demand, SVOD, Netflix, when you look at the scale and the economics that that brings you, there is a far greater kind of pot of gold on the other side. So he also points out that companies like Netflix that have doubled down on streaming and spent amounts that many people consider unreal, $16 billion a year on content. A lot of people think that's insane. They think that it's stupid for Netflix to do that because they're, they're taking on a lot of debt. But Netflix knows the economics of their business. They know what's going to happen if they reach a certain amount of scale. Like he points out there, not only are they having revenue growth, they're going to be highly profitable in the future. So he's saying Disney has the opportunity to do the same thing here, but they're relying right now on what's mostly old content. The reason I have my background today, I've got Simpsons, Mickey Mouse Club, and Moana behind me. Those are the trending titles on Disney+. Plus. Like This is what Loeb is talking about. There's no new content on Disney+. Plus. They're not producing enough content. Those three shows have been like number one for almost the entire first year of Disney+. Plus. They need to get far more aggressive with the content they're spending on. Like he points out there, if you do go to the trending section of Disney+, Plus, they have The Simpsons, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and Moana as the top three trending items. I think that is a problem. This is all older content. And when I've talked to people that use Disney+, Plus, family and friends and people on the Discord and people that I interact with, by far their biggest complaint is the lack of new content. They already have a really good library. You get access to that but you don't get a tremendous amount of really high quality new content. I know The Mandalorian Season 2 is coming out. This is exciting. It's fresh content. I think it's going to help Disney Plus out to keep the subscribers they have. But I do agree with the criticism that Disney Plus is definitely lacking in original new content. And I think that that's definitely the weakest part of the service. Now, next, he's asked about the dividend and what he thinks Disney should do in the future. First things first, like they should just get get, get out of ESPN. Like just spin it off, get rid of it. 
cable, the, the, the legacy sports cable network business is not fixable. That is a drag and a management distraction. So I'd get rid of the ESPN business and, and move that off to somebody else and let somebody else try to fix that business or handle that business and harvest cash flow. The suggestion that Disney should sell off ESPN, I don't think is such a, a bad one. Disney's known for their animations, for creating content, and for storytelling. And I don't really see how ESPN fits into their core business all that well. But then you've got the remainder of the business. You've got really two streaming services, Hulu and Disney+. Plus. There's no reason that you really need two services, two separate logons. Right now they have three with ESPN+, Plus, and they're talking about making a fourth in Star Overseas. I would go all in, put them all together, have one service. Dan argues this point. We've been writing about this issue for the last 18 months. Have one service call it whatever disney plus disney plus hulu i don't really care but have one service that way you leverage all of the content of the two services together so this is where i disagree i do not think it would be good to put hulu and disney plus together hulu functions like a live cable tv service it's not like disney plus it's not like netflix it's more like youtube tv where it has channels You can go on to live channels and watch live television with the advertisements. You get some episodes of series the next day after they air. But Hulu is a completely different type of service, a different category of service than Disney+. And I think it would be very confusing to try to mesh those two together. So maybe taking some of the content off of Hulu and putting it on Disney, I think would be fine. But trying to just combine the two services, I don't think would be a good thing. But Disney probably needs to increase their content spend probably two to three X, at least at a minimum, if not four or five X, but they could accomplish a lot of that by redirecting content spend. And so instead of putting all of these movies into movie theaters, maybe it's a two week window and then these movies show up on Disney plus rather than waiting, you know, uh, waiting 75, 90 days. Like that doesn't make sense in 2020. Disney's greatest asset. When you think about the lifeblood of the Walt Disney company, it's their movies. They should put the movies sooner really soon Mm -hmm. onto Disney+. Plus. Okay, so that's what activist investor Dan Loeb and analysts like Rich Greenfield are urging Disney to do, to spend more on content and forget the dividend completely. Now, I know my portfolio is focused mostly on finding companies that pay some level of a dividend. They provide me some level of cash flow. This is a passive income portfolio. Part of the goal here is to provide me with a, a third party stream of income, something I can rely on to pay dividends every single month. Like last month, I earned $473 in dividends over a 30-day period. That's a good amount of cash flow coming in every month that I can either reinvest back in my portfolio and build this back up, or I can just use this cash. I can pull that out of the portfolio. It doesn't hurt my stake in these different companies. It's just cash paid to me. Now, the thing that I focus on when I'm looking at dividend-paying companies is companies where money is not necessarily a bottleneck for a company. There's many things that can prevent a company from growing. Money's only one of them. They don't have enough money that can prevent their growth. But for a lot of companies, it's other things besides money. If we look at my tech holdings, Apple, for instance, has nearly $200 billion in cash sitting on hand. So is money the thing that they need to grow at this point? Do they need more money to be able to grow? Not necessarily. That's not the thing preventing them from growth. Right now, the biggest concerns for Apple is not a lack of money. It's antitrust regulation, anti-competitive regulation. It's bad decisions with manufacturing their phones, bad decisions with their designs. There's different things that are concerned for Apple. Money is not one of them. So Apple can pay a dividend and there's no issues with them paying that dividend. They have enough money to pay it. They don't really have other reinvestment opportunities. And you can tell that by the fact that they have $200 billion in cash. 
Disney is a company that over the course of the last year has had an amazing opportunity happen with their streaming service. I think it is the best opportunity of their business and they don't have enough cash to fund it. They really don't have enough cash to create the content that they need. So in this situation for Disney, I do think it would be the best decision, probably the most prudent to hold off paying their dividend and invest that money back into their streaming service. And I say that even as somebody that loves dividends, I love getting passive income. Disney has too big of an opportunity here. If they invested that $3 billion a year into their streaming service, I think it would out earn the dividend they would be paying. I think as an investor, it would do more for the business. I think it would grow the business to a bigger extent. Now, even with Disney not paying a dividend right now, my portfolio has still been gaining dividends over time. If I go to the past quarter here, so this is the past 90 days, I've earned over $1,000 in dividends. That's a record for me. I've never earned this much dividends in this amount of time. So $1,000 in 90 days, I think is pretty good. We also gained back $10,000 in the past three months. A lot of the holdings in this portfolio, they tilt towards value stocks, which are more reliant on the general economy more reliant on things going well with the economy rather than tech stocks, which they really are kind of disconnected with the economy. They seem to do well no matter what environment we're in. Well, I have a lot of companies that are in real estate. I have a lot that are in finance like banks. They are heavily connected to the economy. And I think that as growth investors and momentum investors, especially piled into these tech stocks, I think that they will eventually shift out of it once they think that they've gone as far as they're going to go. And when they shift out of it, they'll probably do some type of cyclical play into value stocks. I can see that happening. And we also have news with that, that the coronavirus vaccine is right around the corner. They think that they're going to get it out by the end of this year. And then the health and human services is saying that they'll have enough doses for every American by March. Now that's a little bit down the road, March of next year, people are impatient. They don't want to wait that long, but I'm a pretty patient investor. I can wait until we get back on track and we we do better with defeating coronavirus. I think that I can wait that out. And a lot of these stocks that are being beaten down right now because of the constant bad news, I think they will have a cyclical play and they'll do well once we start to see a recovery. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into some comments and questions. I picked these ones from the previous video. So if you have a question, ask it down in the comments below and I might respond to it in the next episode. This one is from Ad E Plays. He says, when will you start to build up your bond pie again? This is a question I've been asked a lot. I used to have 20% of my holdings in bonds and they went up like crazy during the peak of the coronavirus and I sold out of them to fund my purchase of Apple. So the bonds went up in value like crazy. The yields went down like crazy. They already spiked in value. They weren't yielding a whole lot. And there's companies that I thought might be a better value proposition. So I took about $10,000 of bonds. I put that into Apple and now I have no more bonds in my portfolio. Now, when will I start building up my bond pie again? Well, let's take a look at this. The 10-year treasury is yielding 0.7%, 0.7 on a 10-year bond. Then we have the 30-year treasury, the longest-term bond we can buy, and it's 1.57% right now, 1.5%. So at the 10-year treasury at 0.7%, that is a completely awful yield. That's not worth it. You're certainly going to lose money with inflation. Inflation even running at its standard 2%, you're going to be losing money every single year holding your money in bonds. Um, but inflation's probably going to run closer to 3 or 4% in the future because Jerome Powell has made it very clear that they're going to let inflation run above 2%. So having a bond pay you 0.7%, I don't think is worth it. I don't think it's worth it even to have that money be safe in a bond. Not to mention, that's about the same rate that some banks are paying you to keep your money in a savings account. 
And then buying a 30-year bond at 1.5%, I think there's even more risk with that. I think investors won't be looking to put their money in these low-yielding bonds once inflation starts running high. I don't think it's going to be the place that investors want to go. So until this changes, I'm not going to be putting my money in bonds. I need to have higher interest rates. I need them to be more appealing. Right now, it just doesn't seem like a good deal. Danny says, any particular reason that Walmart is left out of consumer? Yeah, there is a reason. I already have a lot of consumer exposure. I already have Target. Home Depot, and Costco. And the reason that Walmart's left out is just order of operation. I pretty much picked the consumer companies I liked the most that I either thought were the best deal or I liked the experience shopping there. I liked the business the most. Those are the ones that I picked. I think Costco's the best. I'd probably say Home Depot's the next best after that. I think it's a toss-up between Target and Walmart, but I saw Target as a cheaper buy. I think it offers a lot of the same things that you look for in an investment, but I saw Target at a better valuation. So that's why I already had a lot of consumer exposure and there's companies I liked a little bit more than Walmart. And Manuel says, very irresponsible to tell people to be bulls right now, especially to new investors who don't know any better. You're a disgrace to humanity, my guy. I'm a disgrace to humanity because I'm telling people to be bulls right now, um, especially new investors. Okay, so you probably have some type of bearish view on the future. There's plenty of people that have bearish views on the future. That's what you hear basically in the news day in and day out is what you should be afraid of, the whole collapse of society. There's plenty of people that have made that a business. So there's YouTubers and other personalities that all they do is preach doomsday all day long. They talk about it all day long. They happen to make a lot of money selling gold at the same time. There's plenty of places you can find that that type of thought process. And frankly, I think that they're wrong. I think that they're wrong. I listen to people like Warren Buffett, like Peter Lynch, like Howard Marks, people that always constantly talk about how you should remain invested in the economy all the time, regardless of what the future outlook looks like, because there's no better place to put your money. And those are the people I'm listening to, all of them of which happen to be billionaires. They're not billionaires by selling gold on YouTube. They're billionaires by staying invested in profitable businesses for decades and decades. Now, I am interested, Emmanuel, to know your perspective on it. What should people be doing with their money? If it's disgraceful to say that they should try to be finding really good quality, profitable companies that will provide a return over the next 10 years, if that's disgraceful, then what should we be doing? Should people be keeping their money in a savings account, earning half a percent interest while the bank makes multiples on their money? Should we be buying nothing but gold and just hoping that that goes up in value? What should people be doing with their money? I'd be interested to know that. Daria says, Joseph, are you still buying Apple at $112? I have not been buying Apple recently. I already have it as a really big position in my portfolio. It's a massive position in comparison to the rest of my companies. I own about $20,000 worth of Apple right now. Uh, My average purchase price was about $90 a share. So I have it at a lower entry price. It's already a pretty big position in my portfolio. I remain bullish on Apple. They have some concerns with antitrust regulation that is going to happen sometime to Apple. So we're going to see what it amounts to. So I don't think the company will be broken up, but I do think something's going to happen to it. So there is some level of concern with it, but the future of the company in terms of just the company itself, its business, its prospects, I think are the best it's really ever been. I think the company's in incredibly good shape. So it's a company I'm very bullish on, but I already have a lot of exposure to it right now. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and end this episode there. I appreciate all of you for listening. You're welcome to like the video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And I'll talk with you guys next time.